My name is James Metzger. I'm the lead pastor at Renaissance Bible Church, and I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning into our podcast. At Ren, we really believe that God's Word is living and active, that God still uses it to form and shape and change lives uh, for all of eternity. And so our prayer uh, for you is that God might use uh, these words to point you and others to Jesus. May God bless you in your journey. How many people have had the opportunity to take uh, vacation this summer? Like two people, seriously. Your attendance has been terrible. Seriously, how many people have taken vacation? Everyone has. Put your hands up. Like one of the things that I love about vacation is that when people come back from vacation, they, they start talking about it. They tell their friends, they let them know where they've been and what they have done, and they describe it at least to me, and I listen to it, and I think to myself, I would like to experience what you just experienced. Oftentimes they will say to me after explaining their vacation, oh, you should go. And I think to myself, I am glad we're on the same page because I think I should go too. How can we make that happen? I want to have the experience that you just had. Have you ever had that experience before? Well, there is something that Scripture uh, talks about that is uh, so amazing, so uh, beautiful, so awe-inspiring that you listen to it, you hear about it, and you think to yourself, "I, I, I want that. Like what you're describing, I want to experience too. The thing that Scripture talks about in this way is eternal life with God. Now, you you hear that, and maybe you think to yourself, eternal life with God, you have this picture of angels on fluffy clouds playing harps, and you're like, that's not my deal. That's not appealing to me. It strikes me as boring. Uh, However, when Scripture talks about life eternal, a life with God forever and ever, it talks about it uh, in, in a way that we read about it and we think to ourselves, that, that sounds very, very good. I mean, life forever with, with unending and unceasing joy, to me, sounds spectacular. And when Scripture talks about this life, this eternal life with God, it talks about it in such a way uh, that it will never end and it will never leave you disappointed. Right? The, the thing about vacation, the thing about spectacular moments in your life, the, the thing about memories that we make is oftentimes they have a, a beginning point and an end point. Like we leave on a Monday and we got to roll out on a Saturday. Like we hang out with friends on a Tuesday, but Tuesday night we have to leave. We have to say our goodbyes. Like we get to hang out with people that we love and make memories, but eventually that comes to an end. And I hear my my children all the time talk about um, when they leave a friend's house, we'll be driving home, and one of the first questions they ask is, can I go over to my friend's house? And I'm like, we just left your friend's house. Like, what do you mean? But, but there was a, a time there that was enjoyable, and they said, I, I want to have that again. Right? Well, e- eternal life with God, this, this life that is uh, marked by unceasing and 
unending joy and pleasure. Scripture talks about it in such a way that it does not come to an end. It's not like a vacation that we come back from and go, you know what, like three of the seven days it was nice, it didn't rain, but a couple days we had storms, and then two days I just wanted to get back to work. Right? It's, it's not like that. It's not like that. Scripture talks about this eternal life in such a spectacular way that there was this thought from people of old that they wanted to experience it. Um, they wanted it. They wanted uh, to know, can I get what you have? And so there's this story in Mark chapter 10 about uh, this man who approaches Jesus uh, with this very question. Uh, he had heard about this thing called eternal life, and he thought to himself, uh, what do I have to do to get it? Right? I want it. And so he goes to the right person, uh, and he asks the wrong question. Right? The story is recorded for us in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me there. If you don't have a copy of the Scriptures with you this morning, the passage uh, will be on the screen, and you can follow along. Mark chapter 10, beginning uh, in verse 17, reads, And he was setting out on his journey. A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. We learn in the other Gospels that this man was a rich, young ruler. Uh, he was like the epitome of someone who would go to New York City and thrive, right? He was young, uh, he was rich, and he had a position of power, right? So it seemed like, at least on the surface, that he had everything going right for him. Uh, and yet we notice by his question that he was all wrong. Now, maybe you think to yourself, what's wrong with his question? He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This thing that I hear others talk about, I want that. And so what do I have to do? Right? What's wrong with that question, right? It seems like it makes sense, but there are at least two problems with the question. The first problem is that he underestimated uh, the impossibility of God's commands, right? He thought to himself that that the bar was low enough for him to clear. Right? Just, just tell me what I have to do. Um, if, if God just gives me the expectations, I'll meet him. Right? He was young. He was successful. He was rich. He was an overachiever. He fit in well in suburbia. Just tell me what I have to do, and I can do it. He underestimated the requirements of God's law, but he also overestimated his ability to meet them or to achieve it. Right? Just tell me what I have to do, and I'll do it. Right? Just, just, just give me a list. Right? Tell me what I have to do to earn eternal life. Jesus says to him in Mark chapter 10, verse 18, uh, Why do you call me good? Jesus knows that if he is just a a regular old run-of-the-mill teacher, he's, he's not good. He's broken like anyone else. If he is, in fact, a son of God, if he is God, then he is more than a teacher. But Jesus asks him a question, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And then Jesus does something interesting. He just begins to list some of the Ten Commandments. 
Like the Ten Commandments, the beginning commandments relate to humanity and God. The kind of the back end of the commandments relate uh, to humanity and how we treat one another. And Jesus uh, says, uh, do not murder, uh, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Uh, honor your father and mother. And so Jesus gives the man uh, familiar commands. Right? These would have been uh, something that this man had heard before. Do not murder. Be faithful in your relationships and marriage. Do not steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor mom and dad. Now, in an external sense, uh, it is, it's possible uh, to do those things. I mean, this man could take a look at his heart and his life and think to himself, I haven't done those things. I've been faithful in my relationships. Uh, I haven't taken anything that didn't belong to me. I didn't steal anything. I've honored mom and dad. Um, the Apostle Paul, in his uh, letters, New Testament letters, talks about how as to the law, he was blameless. Like in this external sense, he looked and said, hey, I can, I can do that. I can achieve that. But we, we know from other places in the New Testament that, that this man's response to what Jesus said would have missed the mark. It would have been off. Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, one of uh, the most famous sermons ever uh, delivered, more famous than, uh, than than my own. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 on the Sermon on the Mount, you, you've heard it said, do not murder. Uh, but I say to you, if, if you have uh, anger in your heart against your brother, then you're guilty. So Jesus raises the bar of the law and says, you, you think that you can clear it, but you can't. But what's interesting here is that, that Jesus doesn't uh, respond to the man in the way that you or I uh, might think. You see, this man believes, uh, he says in verse 20, Teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. In other words, I have a perfect score. Like, put a star on my paper. Right? I, I, should, I should get something. Like, give me a prize. I have done what you have required. And Jesus uh, would have done well, and it would have been perfectly okay for him to say to the man uh, these words, are you serious? <laughs> you've you've got to be kidding me. Right? You, you've followed all of the commands? But Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't tell the man, are you serious? You've got to be kidding me. He doesn't smack him upside the head. He doesn't blast him for what he did. And said, instead, it says in Mark chapter 10, verse 21, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And I love that. Jesus looking at him in all of his brokenness and all of his foolishness and all of his silliness. It says, Jesus loved him. Then it says, you lack one thing, Jesus told the man. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Now, it, it may seem at first blush that Jesus is saying, like all of those other things that you've done, kudos, good for you, um, just do one thing and you'll inherit eternal life. 
Um, sell all you have. If you do that, uh, then you get the prize. But Jesus isn't saying that. Instead, Jesus is exposing uh, this man's heart. Uh, he is demonstrating to the man where his trust lies. Um, the, 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 the place of worship in this man's heart, Jesus is opening his heart to the open air and is telling him, in essence, let, let me tell you what you're trusting in. Let me show you what is on the seat of affection in your heart. Uh, for this man, it was money, it was his wealth, it was his riches. Uh, notice how Jesus loved the man uh, and... Jesus loved the man by exposing what was in his heart. Right? Sometimes we operate in such a way that we think exposing truth is unloving. Right? Because it can come across as harsh or it can seem mean in the moment. It can seem unkind. But Jesus loves this man and then he speaks truth into his life. One of the ways that we love each other as the people of God is we speak truth uh, into each other's hearts and lives. Uh, Jesus uh, exposed what was in this man's heart, and it says in verse 22, disheartened, he went away sorrowful, uh, for he had great possessions. It says in verse 23, And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. Did you ever, ever look at uh, the wealthy before and think to yourself, they've got it good? <laughs> I mean, you look around at the life that they live, and you think to yourself, wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> I would like that. I want to have those experiences. I want to go those places. I want to drive that car. I want to live in that place. There was this thought even thousands of years ago that those who were wealthy, that those who were rich were, were exceedingly blessed by God. Like, like those were kind of God's favorites. You know, people looked around and went like, well, they... They seem to be doing all right. And so there was this thought that they were God's highly prized or highly treasured people. Right? So what Jesus is saying to his disciples would have been shocking to them. Would have, it would have shocked them. That's why it says the disciples were amazed at his words. Right? Because everything uh, within us thinks to ourselves like more money, more opportunity. Right? More money, uh, more contentment. Uh, more money, more carefree living. More money, more advantage. But, but Jesus is teaching his disciples, if uh, you are rich, uh, you are at a spiritual disadvantage. Right? If you are rich, you are at a spiritual disadvantage. Uh, Renaissance, in case you're wondering, we are rich. We are rich. And if, if you look at the numbers on a global scale, it will blow 
your mind uh, how much God has entrusted to us. And so when I read a passage like this, it gives me pause because we learned last week that uh, the faith that is pleasing to God is a faith that is dependent and a faith that is helpless. And oftentimes, the more we have, the less we think we need. Because everything is at our disposal. It's at our fingertips. We can touch it. We can taste it. We can smell it. We can see it. Jesus looks at his disciples and says to them, it is difficult for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. He goes one step further. He says it again. He says, children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is much easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Right, so Jesus takes one, it one step further. Not only is it difficult, it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person uh, to enter the kingdom of God. Now, there's some debate about this passage, about this, this doorway, and it was, it was small, and the thought was that like a camel could kind of get through it, but it was really difficult, and you had to kind of push them a little bit. I don't think it means that. I think Jesus is like tongue-in-cheek in a humorous way going, it is, it's impossible, right? Think about a big camel, large camel. Think about the eye of a needle. Camel, needle. It's not to scale, folks. That's just, that's just a picture, right? It is impossible. It's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. I think that's why Jesus says with or, or the disciples say to Jesus, then, then who can be saved? I mean, if, if that's true, who can get in? Who can have eternal life? Who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible. It's not difficult. It's impossible. I think what Jesus is, is doing here is uh, reminding his disciples um, not just that it is difficult for the rich to inherit the kingdom of heaven, it is uh, impossible uh, for them to save themselves. Now, I want to say something here because I think it's important because we hear this and we think to ourselves, like, money, bad, poverty, good. But I don't think that's what Jesus is teaching here. Let me be clear. There are plenty, uh, plenty of places in the New Testament that warn us against loving money. Uh, that warn us of the dangers of money. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, he also said to them, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Money blinds our desperate need. Revelation three seventeen says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched and pitiable, pitiful, pitiful, 
and like my pronunciation of pitiable, uh, poor, blind, and naked. He's saying that, he's saying that, that money and that wealth and that the, the love of it like takes us to dark places. It takes us away from our dependence upon the Lord. It takes us away from our trust in the Lord. It takes us away from, from having Jesus as our primary source of joy and our treasure. But, but the issue uh, here with this, with this man, I, I do not think was, was primarily just a money issue, right? The, the issue wasn't just that this man had money. It was that the money had him, right? The money had him. The, the Christian faith is, it's a heart deal, right? It's a heart deal. God wants our desires and he wants our affections. The point isn't simply like, well, I'm going to cap out at this number or or I'm not going to make that or or I'm going to run from that. I I don't think that's the point. The Christian faith addresses our spiritual bankruptcy and not just our bank accounts. The point that Jesus is making to this man and to his disciples is that you cannot save yourself. You cannot earn what only can be given. You can't work your way into God's good graces. You can't finally get your stuff together. You can't discipline your way into eternal life. You cannot outperform your buddy into the kingdom. So so Jesus is bringing this to, to light for his disciples. He's teaching them that anything that you love more than God is dangerous. Anything that keeps you from Christ is dangerous. Anything that we put our trust in other than Jesus is uh, deadly. It could be our finances. It could be our position. It could be our role. It could be our sense of security. It could be our source of pleasure. Fill in the blank. Anything that we are placing our trust in other than uh, Jesus is deadly. So maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, <laughs> that would be difficult for a rich man. Uh, to hear what Jesus told him and to walk away and go, I'm going to forsake that. I'm going to turn from that. I'm no longer going to put my trust in that because there are some benefits to that. Right? There, there are some, some good things about it. And, it. and it could seem like Jesus is asking a whole lot when he tells the man, I want you to trust in me and not your wealth. But Jesus has another lesson Uh, for his disciples, and he has a lesson uh, for us. This is the portion of the story uh, where one of the disciples speaks up. You'll you'll never guess who it is. (laughs) It's Peter. Yes, because uh, if you've read any of Peter's writings before, if you've read stories in the Bible about Peter, then you know this to be true about Peter. Uh, Peter, with his words, is like fire-ready aim. Right? He's the guy that just, he just kind of speaks his mind. And maybe you know someone like that. They just, they just say stuff. And like, like a percentage of the time, they're trying to bring it, reel it back in. They're like, I don't know why I said that. I feel guilty. That was like Peter. Peter's the guy that's kind of, like everyone else might be thinking about it. Peter just says it. This is what he says. See, we have left everything and followed you. Right? I mean, I don't know if Peter's like patting himself on the back. I don't know if he's reminding Jesus that he's given up a whole lot uh, to follow him. But there's Peter 
speak in his mind, we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions uh, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. What Jesus is teaching Peter and his disciples is that you, um, you, you do not lose. Like if you give everything away, if you lose everything for the gospel and for the cause of Christ, you win. Right? You win. You will not be disappointed. What you experience here and now in this life is like a vapor. You will, you will not, a hundred years from now, uh, as you are experiencing eternal life with God, think to yourself, boy, we sure gave up a lot. You, you will not regret it. This is why missionary Jim Elliott, who ended up giving his life for the gospel and for the cause of Christ, said he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Right? He just... He, Give it away. Right? Give it away for the cause of Christ, and you will not regret it. You will not uh, be kicking yourself. So maybe you're here this morning, and man, you have questions about Jesus. Uh, people have talked to you about Jesus, but you would readily admit, listen, I'm, I'm not a follower of Christ. I'm, I don't know if I would consider myself a Christian. These things are interesting to me, but I don't, I don't know if there's buy-in, okay? I just want to, if that's you this morning, I just want to talk to you um, just for a moment. Maybe you hear this story and you read this and you go, if I can't save myself, uh, if there is nothing that I can do, then what does it look like for me to come to Jesus? What does it look like for me to trust in Jesus? If that's you this morning and that's a question you're asking, I'm so glad that you asked it. I think there's this picture in Luke chapter 18 of what this looks like. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9, Jesus, it says in verse 9, He also told this parable uh, to some who trusted in themselves uh, that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So what Jesus is telling, he's speaking this story uh, to some people who, who really believe that they could earn what only could be given. And it says in verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Right? If you're not familiar with Scripture, the Pharisee is like the religious leader. They're, they're the spiritual big shot. They're the, the ones who people look to and go, he, he, he knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's doing. He's the godly one. What well, says the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, um, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. 
Let's be honest. A lot of people have that perception that if you're a follower of Jesus, then you're, you're like this. You're the one that follows all the rules. You're the one that can give your resume and go, listen, I show up at the Bible study. I tithe. I only miss two Sundays a year when I'm on vacation. I'm there all the other time. The, the church doors are open. I do everything that I should do, and I'm grateful. I'm not like those people that I drive by who are golfing on Sunday morning. Right? These are the spiritual people. So Jesus tells this story about the spiritual person, so-called spiritual person, the Pharisee, who seemingly has his act together. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes to all I get. Now, that is not the picture of someone who comes and trusts Jesus. That is someone who tries to earn what only can be given. But that's just a rule follower and not a good one. Jesus paints a picture of what it looks like to come to him. But the tax collector, verse 13, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It says in verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. So what does it look like for someone who cannot save themselves to come to Jesus? It looks like someone who comes to Jesus with his head down saying, God, would you be merciful to me, a sinner? And I'm broken. I'm messed up. I can't fix myself. I've got issues. God, save me. Would you rescue me? Man, if that's you this morning, my prayer for you is that those words would laugh, would land softly on your heart, that you would come to God and that you would say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you are here this morning and you are one who says, man, I've trusted in Jesus. God, is, he's rescued me. With man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. God, open my eyes to the beauty of the gospel. I think what that produces in us is a great sense of humility. It produces humility in us because it's not something that we did. It's not something that we earned. It's not something that we deserve. We can't look to our performance and, and point to our track record and go, man, I'm killing it for Jesus. No, instead, we look to the Lord and go, God, thank you so much for the work that you're doing in me. God, I give you thanks. I give you glory. Thank you produces humility in our hearts. It produces a sense of deep gratitude. Right? If, if you are not blown away by the goodness of God's grace, there's, there's a good chance that we just don't understand it or we don't think that we need it. I mean, if I look at the grace of God and go, ah, meh, it's okay. It's probably a good indication that at least in that moment, I do not understand that I am desperate for it desperate for it. And so when we understand that God gives to us what we desperately need, it, it builds in us or develops in us or matures in us a heart of gratitude. The last thing that uh, it does is it grants to us um, boldness. It grants to us boldness. Because as, as followers of Jesus, when we go around and tell other people about Jesus, that in and of itself is impossible. It's an impossible task. It's impossible it's not difficult. It's impossible. 
And I don't, I don't care if you have like three great points that all start with the same letter and if you got an awesome illustration to tuck on the back end of your little talk, like it is a miracle. It's a miracle when someone walks away from the thing that they were trusting in, from their source of hope and joy, and instead places their faith and trust in Jesus. And so, so what that does in us, knowing that it is God's work, it, it, it does not make us sit back and sit on our hands. Instead, it gives us great boldness. God, this is, this is your work. And so we come alongside other people and we go, hey, let me tell you about something. Let me, let me tell you about a place and a person that will radically change your life for all of eternity. And then we can say to them, as if we've just been on a vacation, you should go. Right? You should go. And by the grace of God, he may open hearts and eyes and help people to see. I pray that uh, he might do that in us this morning. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father God, thank you so much for uh, loving us. Thank you uh, so much for the good news of the gospel, that you meet us in our desperation, and you meet us in our need, and you open our eyes and help us to see the beauty of your son Jesus. Uh, God, if there are folks here this morning who are wrestling through faith and uh, they're wrestling through the teachings of your son Jesus, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you might quicken uh, their hearts, open up their eyes, uh, help them to see. Uh, Lord, for those of us here this morning who are following Jesus, Lord, grant to us uh, humility. We should be the most humble people on the planet. We should be uh, the most grateful people on the planet. We should be the most bold people on the planet. Help us uh, to be so, Lord. God, we love you. We thank you so much uh, for loving us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen. <laughs>